You see on page four there the diagram for the world's pattern and for God's pattern. And notice that the world's pattern begins with acquiring and enjoying. And God's pattern begins with dedicating and, and planning. So the world's pattern begins with amassing stuff and then using that stuff for what I perceive to be my best enjoyment. And then if you'll turn over to page six, at the top of page six, one of the lines that you filled in was at the very top there, that without self-control, and then here are the blanks, without self-control, our yearning capacity, yearning capacity, will always exceed our earning capacity. So you have both of those. You have on page four the diagram with regard to the world's pattern, amass and then enjoy as we see fit. On page six, you have the line that says, unless we are able to control ourselves in some way, then our yearning capacity is always going to exceed our earning capacity. Now, why do I turn back and remind you uh, about that? Well, here's, here's the reason. That God's pattern begins with, as we said, dedicating, whereas the world's pattern on page four begins with amassing and then enjoying. And how are you ever going to get from the one to the other if most of us are stuck in this lack of self-control mode in which our yearning capacity does indeed exceed our earning capacity. How do I go from the one to the other? Or to put it another way, how do I change the things for which I yearn? Because that's really what is at heart with regard to our desires and then in turn our decisions, all of them, including our spending decisions. What is it that I yearn for? What is it that I desire? To use the Bible's old term, if you have a King James Version, often you'll find the word lust in the Bible, and you read that and you think of sexual desire. It includes that, but it's not only that. The word lust in the King James or desire in the NIV that we use, these are intense longings yearnings, desires for someone or something. And we will all always act according to our desires, our yearnings, our longings. And so what we desire, what we want, what we yearn for, needs to be examined extremely closely. Otherwise, we can never move from the world's pattern to God's pattern. The world's pattern begins with me amassing and then me spending on what I yearn for. But God's pattern begins with just the opposite, dedicating it to God. That'll never happen. That will never happen unless there is a transformation of my yearnings, my longings, my desires, my lusts. The truth of the matter is that the Bible's story could really be summarized as a story about misplaced longings and desires. I mean, think about it. Think about how it starts. It starts in a garden that, by all accounts, was pretty cool. I mean, if you walked into the Garden of Eden, you would say, nice digs. Very nice. No, no death, no sickness. Everything you need. 
God, God gave you, if you're Adam, God gave you the first woman. And she is, has not been affected by the ravages of sin in her words and behavior and attitudes. And Adam has not been. They live in a perfect environment and they're perfect people. But God gives them this one test to ensure that their longings and their desires are not misplaced but are directed to where he desires and deserves toward him. And he gives them this one test. And, of course, we know the sad story. They, they fail that test. But why did they fail that test? It wasn't enough. What they had in the garden and what they had in God was ultimately not enough for them. God's withholding something from you. Isn't that what the serpent suggested? God knows that in the day you disobey him, this is what will happen. You will be better off. God's a killjoy. God doesn't want you to enjoy what he has made and in its fullness. He's holding something back. You need more. They bought the lie. Here we go. And as children of Adam and Eve, we have this yearning, longing, desiring problem. And the story of the Bible could be summarized as misplaced desires and longings. And what Jesus has come to do is to transform, radically alter our desires and our yearnings and our longings. And until that happens, you will continue and I will continue to pursue what's on page four, the world's pattern. I get stuff and I spend the stuff on what I yearn for, I long for, I desire. And there is no way in that situation that I will be able to do what God's pattern requires, dedicating it first to God and then planning my spending around God and his purposes. We need to come to grips with the fact that most of us are controlled by this not enough yearning, longing, desiring mentality. You see it throughout the Bible in a number of places. Let me give you, let me give you a couple. Do you all remember when Jesus went to a home in a town called Bethany and he visited uh, Mary, two sisters, Mary and Martha? And do you remember Mary was, uh, Mary was at Jesus' feet and enjoying Jesus' presence she treasured Jesus and the person of Jesus, and she demonstrated that by her actions. And Martha was busy with all the details in Luke chapter 10. You all remember that? And then there's a spot in Luke 10 and verse 40, 41. Martha has complained to Jesus, and she says, in effect, to Jesus, tell Mary to get busy. We got stuff to do. And in verse 41, Jesus says to Martha, Martha, Martha. Now, when Jesus says your name twice, you're in big trouble. He says, Martha, Martha. And not so much because she's in trouble, but to get her attention. What I'm going to tell you is really important. And then Jesus says this, there is one thing, one thing that you need. There is one thing. That is needful. And Mary has chosen the better part, 
he says. Mary has chosen wisely. She has prioritized the one thing, not just the thing, the one, the one person, me, that is needful. You need one thing, and you should desire one thing and yearn ultimately for one thing. You were made ultimately for one person. And the misplaced desires are what cause us to go askew in our behavior, including our spending. If we don't get a handle on the yearnings and the desires and the longings, we'll never be able to follow God's pattern as opposed to the world's pattern. Here's another example. In John 21, in your Bible, those of you that have been with us during our worship hour, 9.30 on each Lord's Day, we're getting close to concluding our study through the Gospel of John. We'll be in John 21, the last chapter, in just a few weeks. And there you're going to find Jesus along the Sea of Galilee with his followers, including Peter. And they are rustling up some fish over a fire. And Jesus says famously to Peter there, he says, Peter, do you, do you all remember what he says? Do you love me? more than than these and in the context these fish do you love me more than this stuff and you remember peter says lord you know i do and jesus went on to ask him two more times peter do you love me more than these why is Jesus doing this? Because the ultimate the ultimate issue is misplaced longings and desires and Peter, the question is, are you controlled by desires for stuff or by a desire for me? And until we have that transformation of our allegiances, longings, desires, yearnings, lusts, such that they are centered upon the one who made us and the one who desires that and deserves that, then we cannot move from the world's pattern of amassing and spending to God's pattern of dedicating and planning around his purposes. So that's absolutely crucial. And we all recognize that this yearning, desiring, hungering issue is one that we all face and we all deal with. That's why you find it in your music so often. And so that great theologian, Bruce Springsteen, can say everybody has what kind of heart? A hungry heart. Yeah, he's right. Everybody does have a hungry heart. The question is, how is that hunger going to be satisfied? Or, in the words of those great theologians, the eagles, desperado, you ain't getting no younger. Your pain and your, and notice your hunger, Right? You always want what you can't have. Or, you want another great theologian? In the words of that great theologian, Bob Seeger, and with all these I show how old I am, who says, you know, you can really be a beautiful loser who wants to dream like a young man with the wisdom of an old man. He wants his home, he wants his security, but he still wants to live like a sailor at sea. And what's the result? A beautiful loser. So, this idea of hunger, desire, 
It's there within every one of us. The Bible's story could really be condensed to this issue of misplaced longings and desires. And unless we have our desires shifted from things and stuff and us to him and using the things and the stuff for him, then we cannot move from the world's pattern to God's pattern. And we're going to talk about then how you do that over the next few weeks. But I've belabored that because there is nothing more crucial than the center of our desires and how it issues forth in our behavior, including our spending. And so if you look at page 31, then. financial planning, a succinct definition is given for you in the box is allocating limited financial resources to unlimited spending alternatives. So if I'm going to allocate what's limited to an unlimited array of choices, I'm going to need some criteria for doing that. But I'm not going to follow God's criteria unless I desire God, I yearn for God more than I yearn for all the other stuff that's flashing and popping and dazzling to allure my attention. And so how do we do this? Well, we need principles, priorities, and we need, and we need planning. And so we're going to look at Four principles in just a moment for you to fill in. Ron Blue, some of you know who Ron Blue is. Several years ago, a couple of years ago, we did a series called Money Matters that used material that was published by Ron Blue. He's a Christian financial counselor. And he tells the story of having appeared before a Senate subcommittee in Washington. And uh, he was there on a panel, and the chairman of the subcommittee asked the panelists, including Ron Blue, what advice would you give to the American family with regard to their, their finances. And Ron Blue gave his answer, and his answer was this. And he said, when I gave it, I thought the guy was going to laugh because it's so simplistic, but this is really what I believe. I would tell the American family to spend less than you earn, avoid use of debt, build an emergency fund, and set long-term goals, those four things. Now, those are the four principles that are on page 31, but I'm going to go through them briefly one by one so that if you didn't write them down when I just, I just, uh, just now spit them out, that's okay. But he gave that, and then this, he says this chairman of this Senate subcommittee said to him, huh, let me write that down. And he said, that would work anywhere, wouldn't it? That's what he claims this guy said, no wonder our country's in such a mess, right? Yeah, that would actually work in Washington, too, if you've spent less than you took in. It would work for any family. It would work for any income level. It will work for any entity, that is. It'll work for an individual. It'll work for a family. It'll work for a, a business. It will work for a church. These are principles, then, that are not parochial. They're not provincial. They're not just, they're not narrow. They don't just apply to one slice of society. These are principles that will work for anyone in any situation at any time. These are, to put it another way, universal principles. They are universal because they come from the wisdom of Almighty God. And so we need to listen up and we need to adjust our approach to make sure it's in line with these principles. What are they? Here's the first one. Spend less. Spend less than you earn. 
Proverbs 13. Dishonest money, money dwindles away, but one who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Proverbs 21. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Spend less than you earn. Now, notice the first three of these principles have verses underneath them that come from the book of Proverbs. You all see that? And I just want to point out why it's particularly appropriate to have verses that come from Proverbs for an issue such as finances. Many of you know that the book of Proverbs is one of several books in your Bible that are called wisdom books, wisdom literature. And so the Bible is one of the Bible's wisdom books. And it tells us, does the book of Proverbs and the wisdom literature, how we're to behave in order to live our lives in line with the principles that God, that God desires. And so the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Wisdom is applied to all sorts of issues, including the issue of money. And I just remind you very quickly that, as we saw two weeks ago, wisdom is to be contrasted with foolishness. What's foolishness? It's not ignorance. It's not stupidity. Foolishness is having information, but failing to apply that information as designed. Wisdom, on the other hand, is taking our knowledge, our information, the data that we receive, and applying it properly, applying it according to God's design. The book of Proverbs is a wisdom book, and it's telling you this is how you apply the information that with which you are confronted and the resources that you have in order to use them and it for God's design. Spend less than you earn. That's the first principle. Now, let me just give you something for each one of these four that you can just jot in the margin if you want. You can blow it off if you want. It's all up to you. But let me relate each of these four principles to our relationship with God. I started in the introduction by saying, look, it's all going to be about what you desire. More importantly, who you desire. And so as you look at each of these principles, think about how each of these principles relates to your relationship with God. Spend less, uh, spend less than you earn. How does that relate to God? Here's how I think it relates to God. I can spend less than I earn when I'm completely satisfied in God. I can spend less than I earn when I'm completely satisfied in God. I don't need the stuff. I don't need to keep up with the Joneses. I don't need all that pops and dazzles. And the reason I don't need it is because I am satisfied in God. The reason the advertising works to suck people in to buying stuff they don't need is because it's appealing to people who ultimately are not satisfied very easily creates a dissatisfaction within you. But if I am satisfied in God, then I can be content with what he has given me. And I don't need to spend more than I earn. Second principle, avoid the use of debt. Avoid the use of debt. Proverbs 22, the rich rule over the poor. The borrower is servant to the lender. Avoid the use of debt. And the principle there is this, whenever we owe something to whomever we owe it, that person has a measure of control over us. 
There are foreclosed houses all over our country, and in particular in our area. Because this proverb is true. That the borrower is the servant to the one who lends. And the lender has this measure of control over the one who's done the borrowing. The truth is they can call in their loan. Or if you hit a point where you cannot pay your loan, they have a measure of control that can radically upset your entire, entire life. And that's happening with so many people. Avoid the use of debt. Now, this starts with this whole earning, yearning thing. If you do that, it's going to be easier to avoid the use of debt because I don't need all the stuff that I'm overspending for, but avoid the use of debt. How does that relate to our relationship with God? Avoiding the use of debt. I don't want to be controlled by anyone or anything because I want to be free to serve God. I don't want to be controlled by anyone or anything so that I'm free to serve God. How many of us, if we were honest about it, would say, I am not free to serve God as I would like? And I'm not free to serve God as I would like because I'm a slave to the clock. I'm a slave to the paycheck. Avoiding the use of debt actually relates to our relationship with God. If it is all about Him and if our desires are all ultimately for Him, then I desire not to be under the control of anyone or anything so that I am free to serve Him. Here's a third principle. Build an emergency fund. Build an emergency fund. Proverbs, go to the ant, says the New King James Version, consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer, gathers her food in the harvest. So like the ant, we should take wisdom from the activities of the ant in building for the time when something unexpected happens. Well, how does that, how does that relate to my relationship with God? Building an emergency fund is an acknowledgement that I do not know what tomorrow brings. Or to put it another way, it's an acknowledgement that God holds tomorrow. That God is in control of tomorrow. And conversely, I'm not. And because I'm not, because I can't control what happens, then I build an emergency fund, acknowledging with humility that tomorrow may not be like today. Next week may not be like this one. Next year, not like this one. How many people in our area would have thought last year that they would be in the position that they are today? I've been here for 47 years all of my life. And if you had told me 10 years ago that General Motors and Chrysler would be going bankrupt, I wouldn't have believed it. And I think most people here would not have believed it. And yet Chrysler filed this week. And GM is preparing their filing. We humbly acknowledge we don't control tomorrow. And thus we prepare for the unexpected that we don't control. Fourth principle, set long-term goals. Set long-term goals. Paul said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. How does this relate to my relationship with God as I set long-term goals? I want to use Here's the way I think of it. I want to use what God has given 
for the mission for which he gave it. I want to use what God has given me for the mission for which he gave it. Now, how do we put these principles into practice? Turn to page 32, if you would. Page 32. We have to set priorities then based upon those principles. And the truth of the matter is you can do five things with money, and really only five things. They're listed for you. You can do five things with the money that comes into your possession. You can give it away. You can pay taxes. You can repay debt. You can set some aside for savings. Or you can spend it on lifestyle. Those are the five things you can do with it. Give it away. Pay taxes. Repay debt. Save. Lifestyle. Those are the five things. If you can think of a sixth, let me know. But those are the five things you can do with the money that comes to every one of us. And the only question then is how am I going to prioritize those five things? Now notice the world's pattern, the world's priorities. Remember the world's pattern back on page four on that diagram was I amass, I acquire, and then I spend, I enjoy. And that's why then the world's priorities here, top of page 32, begin with lifestyle. It comes in. I spend it on what I yearn for, what I desire, what I long for, what I want. That's one of the five things, but notice the priorities are shuffled radically in a radically different fashion. The world starts with lifestyle. I deserve it. Secondly, pay taxes. I have to pay taxes. And then, and then in the world's mind, and let's be honest, and then in our mind, you know, it's this taxes thing that's really messing me up. It means I've got less to spend on the stuff I really want to do. Now, I'm, not, you know, I'm not thrilled with taxes like anybody else. But the truth of the matter is, it's a fact of life. It's been a fact of life for a long time. The Bible has something to say about paying taxes. So get over it. You're going to be paying taxes. Quit, quit, quit whining about it. And rearrange your priorities. But the world starts with lifestyle. I have to pay taxes. And because it starts with lifestyle, very often you have the third thing, excessive debt that has to be repaid. If there's anything left over for saving and investing and giving, forget, forget about it on the giving part. And how many of us are, you know, are sitting here and we're saying, man, I would love to give if I had any money. But the truth of the matter is the reason we don't have money is because we have prioritized according to the left side of the top of page 32. God's priorities are first giving and then saving and investing and then debt repayment, taxes, and then last notice lifestyle. And the result is contentment as opposed to overspending. Now let's see what the Bible has to say about those five priorities, God's priorities. The first one is giving. The Bible says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, it's interesting, you know, 2 Corinthians 9, I encourage you to go and read the, the chapter, but it's about money. It's about material possessions. It really is. Now, that principle does not mean you give a lot. This is not the Oral Roberts show here. And you'll get a lot of money back, although that happens very often. For folks. God blesses those who give 
with more. But that's no guarantee. But you also read in not only 2 Corinthians chapter 9, but 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul talks about the need to give toward the Lord's work and the blessing, not just monetary blessing, but spiritual blessing that accrues to the giver through that. The ministry to which they give returns blessing to them and their family many times over the monetary amount that they've given. And so God encourages us not to sow sparingly so that we can be blessed lavishly, both materially and spiritually. And then gives a pattern for how to do that. 1 Corinthians 16.2, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. First day of every week, that would be Sunday, that would be the Lord's Day. It's the reason we pass the hat during the worship service. It's an act of worship. The Bible says to do that. And the Bible says that each of us participates in that, having set aside, planned an amount to give. That amount is in keeping with our income, it says. And so I like this, I like this phrase with regard to giving amongst God's people. We don't give equal gifts, but we do engage in equal sacrifice. Not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. The gifts will vary widely according to income. But each of us sacrifices for the work of the Lord, having planned to do so, setting aside, and then giving in keeping with our income. Saving and investing is the next, oh, excuse me, giving then is a first priority, a first priority. And the next priority that God has is saving and investing. And the truth is, a little bit, over a long time, makes a big difference. A little bit over a long time makes a big difference. Most people who are wealthy did not inherit wealth. Did you know that? And and I'm not talking about lavishly or you know uh, crazy wealth, just people who are well off. Most people are what are called plotters. They just plot along a little bit at a time, and a little bit over a long pe- period of time becomes a lot. One of the ways that happens is through the miracle of compounding interest, which we'll talk about in, in a couple of weeks. Now, notice the first two of these, giving and saving. These are productive activities. If you go back up to the top of page 32 and you see God's priorities, giving and saving, these are productive. These are things that are going to produce good things for you and for others, giving to God's work, saving. But then the next two are obligations. There's stuff I have to do, and one of those is debt repayment. And it is an obligation. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Notice how those are contrasted. You know, those who are are righteous have to give, apparently because they're not so tied up in debt. But the wicked refuse to repay. And we live, no newsflash for any of you here, we live in a wicked generation in which people borrow and then look for ways not to repay. And it's not God's way. If I borrow, according to God, I am obligated to repay. 
Taxes are another obligation. I mentioned to get over it. You know, the time Jesus walked the earth, there were, there were sinners and tax collectors. I mean, they were a special group that were despised by everybody. The IRS existed back then. It exists now. Nobody liked it then. Nobody likes it now. But you're going to have it. You're going to have it till you die. Those two things are for sure, right? Death, death and taxes. So just, we just really do need to quit whining about it, and we just have to deal with it. And we shouldn't deal with it the way some crazy people have, just to be blunt, some crazy Christian types who have said, you know, um, the 16th Amendment was supposed to be a temporary amendment that gave you the income tax just to fund World War I, and it was supposed to expire, and so you're really not obligated to it. You know it's a voluntary tax system and all that, so you really don't have to pay. You try that. Okay? I've, I've known people who've tried that. I, I know of a guy who taught that for years. Guess where this guy is? Exactly. He's on the rock pile, okay? What does the Bible say? Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. Straight up, that's what the Bible says. Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And then the fifth priority, last in the list, on purpose. What's left then, after that, is for lifestyle. And you can choose. You can choose what kind of lifestyle you're going to pursue. Is it going to be a lavish lifestyle? It's going to be a lifestyle that's going to include the three things that are underneath number five there, and then you have to choose the level at which you are going to live. The first thing you do in your lifestyle is provide for your family. Provide for your family. If anyone, Paul writes to Timothy, does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he's denied the faith is worse than an unbeliever. Strong words to provide for our family. But then the question is, well, how much do I provide for my family? My kids have to have everything. Well, if we, if we do that, even if we have it, now we've gone through, we've followed these wise principles, we have more money left over, and we determine our kids need to have everything. Do you know, don't you realize what you're teaching those kids? You're teaching them that they should yearn for, they should desire, they should lust for, they should live for. All the stuff that gets us in trouble in the first place. So the mere fact that you have it to spend does not mean you should spend it. And so we make a choice. What, is, what does the Bible say? If we have food and shelter, 1 Timothy chapter 6, if we have food and clothing, quote, we will be content with that. But we provide for our family. Secondly, have a lifestyle I am content with. And then thirdly, enjoy what God has given me. Enjoy what God has given me. The last phrase in 1 Timothy 6.17 says, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Enjoy what God has given me. I'll just say this about this issue of enjoyment. If Jesus transforms our yearnings and our desires and our longings, then it will change, it will alter the things we enjoy. I mean, how many people outside of Jesus enjoy seeing their money used to see some kid in Tanzania come to Christ? I'll answer that for you. None. That requires Jesus transforming your desires so that now what you enjoy seeing is quite different. I enjoy seeing that happen. 
I enjoy seeing the Lord's work move forward because Jesus has radically changed my desires and my longings. And yes, I enjoy God's world and the beauty of his world. And on Friday, I'm going to be one of the guys going up early for my first round of golf this year. So I enjoy that stuff too. And I, and I receive it from God's hand gratefully as I use it. And I'm simply pointing out that that which we enjoy will be altered by the transformation of our desires and our longings. And then we should enjoy in that manner what God has given. So as we plan in the final few minutes that we have, as we plan, here's what we need to understand. There is no such thing as an independent financial decision. And here's all that's being said there. You've got five ways you can use your stuff. Five. We gave you the five on the previous page. You've got five. And what's being said in that line, there is no such thing as an independent financial decision. Here's what it's saying. That once you use it on one of those, it's not available for the other four. That they're connected in that you can only slot them in one or the other. And so every spending decision you make on lifestyle, you are making a decision to say, I'm not going to take that dollar and put it into one of those other four categories, like giving or saving. Every time you do that, you're making a decision not only to put it one place, but not to put it another place. Secondly, the longer the perspective, the better the financial decision. Giving up for today, giving up today's desires for future benefits is the display of financial maturity. And that's the third one, financial maturity, giving up today's desires for future benefits. Now, would you guys agree with me? We live in a culture that knows nothing about giving up today for future benefits. I want it now. The microwave doesn't cook the stuff fast enough. I told you some time ago that I've got a book on my shelf called, here's the name of the book, Faster. That's the name of the book, Faster. The subtitle is The Acceleration of Everything. That everything is moving faster, and we want it faster, and we want it now. Which precludes, then, many of us from giving up today for tomorrow. Now, these five final instructions before we depart. If you're married, pray together. If you're not married, obviously, then pray to the Lord yourself. But in either case, pray. Pray together for God's wisdom. Remember, wisdom is not the information. Wisdom is what I do with the information, how I apply it. And we need to pray. God, help us to apply the information that you have given, that you're teaching us in this series. Help me, help us to apply it properly. James chapter 1 says that if anyone lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God, who gives liberally. It's one of my favorite requests to the Lord, because it's a biblical request. Lord, grant me wisdom. Grant me wisdom in how I lead the church. Grant me wisdom in how I lead my family. Grant me wisdom in this particular task that you have given me. I need your wisdom every moment of every day. Pray to the Lord for wisdom. Secondly, look honestly at where we are. Look honestly at where we are. Last week, if you did the homework, you did a net worth statement. This week, you're going to do a statement that looks honestly at what your expenditures and so on are. And in your homework this week as well, third, it'll help you prioritize your needs and goals. Prioritize your needs and goals. 
So I encourage you to do the homework that's part of this lesson in preparation for next week. Prepare then, based upon all of that, if you're going to follow God's priorities and God's pattern, prepare a workable, a workable plan. And begin practicing good record keeping. Practice keeping good records. You say, I don't know how to do any of that. We know that. That's why we have this series. And the homework helps you to do that. Okay? So do the homework for this week, and then we'll look at session number three together next week. Let's commit our week to the Lord, and we'll be done. Father, we thank you for this time that we've been able to spend looking at these principles from your word that are radically different from what we have taught and many of us have bought into from the world. Lord, we pray that you would grant us the wisdom to apply this truth to our various circumstances. I thank you for these brothers and sisters who are indicating by their presence here that they want to cease going their way and they want to begin going your way in this area of finances. Thank you, Lord God, for being gracious to us and for giving us the information we need, for giving us your Holy Spirit that can, that, that can help us to use that information in the way in which you designed it to be used. Go with us, we ask, Lord, this week, and grant us safety, grant us joy as we serve you, and we ask you to bring us back next Lord's Day as we continue to learn of your mind on this issue of finances. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.